Let's continue in worship as we use the words of Psalm 139 in the responsive reading. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. So search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Our first reading this evening is from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. 
the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The next reading is from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me, the door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, I've been in the ministry for 30 years now, and nobody has ever come to me and said, Ah, Tim, I've seen you praying. Will you teach me how to pray like that? Nobody. 30 years. Jesus spaced a three years maximum. His disciples are saying to him, We've seen you praying. Can you teach us how to pray? I mean, John taught his disciples, but we 
We want to learn from you how to pray. So what was it that impressed them about the quality of his prayer life? Was it that they felt his prayers were particularly effective? Did they see answers? Was it that the vibrancy of his prayers caught their attention? Or maybe they'd just seen how much he prayed. And from that they recognised that prayer was important. And because they were disciples, they wanted to model themselves on him and, and live like he did and pray like he did. They were keen to learn anything he could teach them. But they wanted to learn how to pray as a result of seeing him do it. Prayer is not a dutiful routine in their eyes when they've seen Jesus praying. They must have seen how important it was and figured out that if it was important to Jesus, it ought to be important to them as well. And so in response, Jesus teaches them what we all know as the Lord's Prayer. Deceptively simple, really. He goes on to tell them the story of the friend who needs to borrow three loaves in the middle of the night and offers what look like pretty unconditional guarantees of answered prayer. Everyone who asks receives. Whoever seeks finds. And the door will be open to anyone who knocks. So get asking. Don't quit seeking. Start knocking. What Jesus seems to be imparting to his disciples is the, the assurance that when they pray, they can do so with a confident expectation of having their prayers answered. So what kind of things are they to ask for? Well, it's, it's all fairly basic stuff, really. That God's name would be honoured, treated as holy. That God's kingdom would come. That they'd have enough to eat for the coming day. That they'd be forgiven for the things they'd done wrong with an implicit recognition that that carried with it the obligation to forgive others. That they'd be led away from possible sources of temptation. And in the scenarios he uses to teach people how to pray, he still talks about pretty ordinary requests. Three loaves of bread for an unexpected guest. A son asking his father for a fish or an egg, just something to eat. A follower of Jesus asking for the gift of the Holy Spirit. None of these requests are unreasonable or extraordinary. They are simply what we need to live our lives for God on an everyday basis. To help us to get our priorities right. To have enough to eat. To keep us on the straight and narrow. To set us right when we go wrong, to, to put our relationships right, to, to help us walk each day with an awareness of the presence of God in our hearts. These are not earth shattering prayers. They express a trust in God and a reliance on God for the everyday necessities we need in every area of our lives. So there is no formula for praying the kind of prayer that will secure you fame or wealth or success. These are prayers to pray if you want to live your ordinary, everyday life in the consciousness that God is at your side 
and you live your life for him and in reliance on his grace. And I wonder actually whether what prompted the disciples to ask Jesus how they should pray was not the techniques they saw when Jesus prayed. What they can't have failed to notice was the quality of the relationship that he so evidently enjoyed with God, his Father. A relationship that was expressed in his prayer life. That simple way of addressing God as Father, Dad, Abba, says a whole lot about the closeness of the relationship between Jesus and his Father, a relationship of love and trust and intimacy which he opens up to us so that we can share in it as well. And what kind of father is God? What kind of father are we dealing with here? Jesus asked his disciples a couple of questions. Those of you who are parents, if your child asked you, Mom, Dad, can I have a fish for tea tonight? Would you give them a snake on their plate instead? Or, can I have an egg for breakfast? Well, let's put a scorpion in the egg cup and see how they get on with that. If they asked you for something good to eat, would you give them something that would eat them or kill them if they touched it? It's not the kind of thing that parents do. It's unthinkable. Flawed as we are as parents, and goodness knows we are flawed, none of us would ever contemplate doing such a thing. So says Jesus, what do you think God's like? If you ask him for something that you need, that's good to have, and is in his power to give, However, is he going to give you something bad in response to that prayer? If he will gladly and willingly give the Holy Spirit, which is the greatest gift of all, to those who ask, how much more would he answer your prayers for your basic, ordinary, everyday human needs? Because the thing about prayer is not focusing on, on what we need or how we ask for it. The thing about prayer is realising who it is that we're praying to, who it is that we're asking, who it is that we're putting our trust in. You know, I reckon that's part of the point of the parable of, of the friend at midnight. It's not about securing answers. It's about thinking, well, who is it that you're asking for, for whatever it is you're requesting? The poor host in the parable is in, in an impossible situation. A friend has turned up unexpectedly in the middle of the night. He's tired, he's hungry, and the host has... Nothing to give him to eat. So he has to, to weigh two unthinkable options. He can say, hi, yeah, um, sleep there. I'm sorry, I've got nothing to give you. I uh, hope you manage to sleep even though you're starving and we'll sort something out in the morning. Or somehow, because it's midnight, Tesco down the road is already shut. Um, how can he find something to give his friend in the middle of the night? The only option is to to go to the least objectionable of his neighbours, the one who probably won't mind so much being woken in the middle of the night and ask if he can borrow just three loaves of bread and I'll pay you back tomorrow. Any other time of day, that would be a totally reasonable request. In the middle of the night, unless it's a very, very good friend, you take your life in your hands asking that kind of thing. How many of you cringe inwardly at the thought of making such a request? Many of us instinctively shy away from asking other people to do things for us. 
probably a particularly British thing, but we're, we're very susceptible to this. We don't want to intrude on their privacy. We don't want to disturb them in any way. We don't want to give the impression that we're, we're taking advantage of them. We don't like being indebted to anybody else or dependent on anybody else. And maybe we're not sure whether actually they're good enough friends to ask for favours that will cause such disruption or inconvenience. Sometimes it feels like you're, you're taking your life in your hands when you go to someone asking for a favour, even for something as small and insignificant as a loan of three bread rolls. And for the poor host of the parable, the response from his grumpy neighbour was every bit as bad as he feared it would be. Could it have been much worse? No! Go away! Stop hassling me! I've locked the door, the whole family's in bed with me, I can't possibly get up and give you anything at this hour of the night. And yet despite that bad-tempered response, the man still gets up and gives his friend the three loaves he's asked for. How does that work? Well, it's too late, isn't it? The family's already been disturbed. He's already been woken up. His night's sleep has already been broken. He won't get any peace of mind now unless he accedes to his friend's request. He's got enough of a conscience to know that he will lie awake worrying what his friend will do if he doesn't give him the loaves of bread. And that guilt will simply make the anger that he feels at being disturbed even worse. He will sleep better in the long term, even the short term, he gets out of bed, sorts out the loaves, opens the door, gives them to him, and just sends his friend away. It's dealt with then. It's not an ongoing situation. So the man knocking at the door gets what he needs, not because his friend is such a good, kind, generous, considerate neighbour. No, he gets what he needs because once the request has been made, it can't be ignored. It's not going to go away. So the NIV says his request is answered because of his boldness in asking in the first place. He gets what he needs because of his sheer effrontery in making a request at such an unreasonable hour of the night. It's precisely his readiness to go and knock on the door and wake his friend up and, and disturb his night's sleep that secures the answer to his request. My father used to say to me, if you don't ask, you don't get. So why does Jesus use this parable to teach his disciples about prayer? Is it that we get what we ask for just by the sheer effrontery of asking? Why compare God to a grumpy neighbour who resents being asked to get out of bed and supply three loaves to a friend in the middle of the night? Well, part of the point is that God isn't like that. Jesus goes on from, from the story of, of the friend at midnight to say, ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives, whoever seeks finds, the door will be open to anyone who knocks. And then he goes on to talk about parents giving stuff to their children, ends by saying, you know, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The point is that God is not your grumpy neighbour who resents being woken up in the middle of the night. Jesus wants to move us away from seeing prayer as a, a timid knocking on God's door, accompanied by an apologetic, I'm really sorry to bother you. Is there ever an inconvenient time for us to bother God with our needs? 
No. Is God ever going to say, go away, it's not convenient at the moment, I'm, I'm in bed, I don't want to be disturbed, I don't want to be woken up. No. He's always ready for us to knock on his door at any time, day or night. Does he retreat? Does he treat our requests for the things that we need as unreasonable? No. Because as our Heavenly Father, he's well aware of what we need. He is committed to providing for us and taking care of us. The man in bed shouts out, I can't get up and give you anything, which in reality means I can't be bothered to get up and give you what you want. But God is neither unable nor unwilling to answer our requests. Perhaps the point of the parable is that if the man who knocks on his neighbour's door at midnight gets what he asks for, despite his neighbour being so unreasonable in his response at being disturbed, how much more will we get what we ask for? Because we ask God as our Heavenly Father who loves us and who knows what we need and is always ready to answer our prayers and is committed to taking care of us. It's because of who God is and what he's like that Jesus concludes the parable by encouraging us to to come and to ask, to come and to seek, to come and to knock. Because everyone who asks receives, whoever seeks finds, and the door will be open to anyone who knocks. Jesus wants to encourage in us a confident reliance on God's love and generosity and faithfulness. It's because he knows that this is what his father is like, that he prayed to God in such a way that his disciples wanted to imitate him and learn from him. Let's put as well this teaching on prayer into the context of Jesus' ministry. Actively engaged in proclaiming the kingdom of God. Jesus isn't encouraging a passive dependence on God here, as if we can just pray for what we want and fold our arms and wait for it to drop into our lap. This is not a prayer reserved for those engaged in a lifestyle of quiet contemplation. Jesus teaches prayer to those engaged in the everyday business of life, those who live and work for his kingdom, those who are trying to earn enough money to make ends meet, those who get it wrong sometimes and rub shoulders with other imperfect people, those who need God's help to make the right decisions. In the messy, everyday business of living, Jesus invites us to recognise and welcome the presence of God right there with us. And invites us to trust him for the resources we need to live our lives in the service of the kingdom in such a way that honour is brought to his name. He's not talking about securing answers to prayer for the impossible. He's talking about securing answers to prayer for what we need to live for God on a daily basis. To those who look to live their lives for him, God is all too pleased to provide the resources to do it. And we access those resources as we learn to trust him and live for him through a daily prayerful dependence upon him. The God who is always ready and willing to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him.
And when we have that kind of relationship of dependence and trust in God, we know that we remain secure with him, even if we don't get the answers we necessarily expect from the prayers that we ask. Because God holds us. He walks alongside us. He never lets us go. It's because Jesus had that kind of close relationship with God. The disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And it's that kind of close, dependent, trusting relationship with God that he wants to share with us and make available to us as we make his prayer our own and his trust in God our own and his confidence in his Father our own.